Hey, one more thing before you go. Have you ever asked the questions, how do I write a song or make an album? What exactly is philosophy? Or better yet, what's the meaning of life? Stay tuned. We're going to talk to a man that could possibly answer each and every one of those questions and does so every week on his podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, working one more thing before you go. My guest in today's show is Joel Bouchard. He's a doctoral student in psychology, a multi-instrumentalist, a record producer, an author, a painter, an army veteran, a business leader, and a fellow podcaster who firmly believes that generalists have a place in society and can make contributions to human knowledge. And he does so through that podcast. I've heard it. We're going to talk about that. He may not be an expert in any one field, but is an expert learner who is well-versed in a wide array of areas that fits right in with my interdisciplinary opportunities. While he has a philosophical mind and prefers big-picture conversations, that knits together a disparate concepts on his podcast from nowhere to nothing. We're going to delve into details on many of the topics that he talks about, including music, education, psychology, and the military, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got an amazing journey here uh, that I'm excited about sharing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I uh, often say that I am blessed with the life that uh, I've had thus far, and I'm hoping to have quite a bit more. So, you know, it's interesting when we, when we, we. Well, we're going to talk about your life here in about two seconds, but you know, when we don't always know where our path is going to take us you know, when we start off on in this path of life. But sometimes we have the diverse opportunity to be able to explore many things within life that allows us to grow and experience and be happy and learn and educate and inspire and motivate. And And I can't wait to do some of that with you here now. Yeah. Well, let's start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up? So I'm from Western New York. Uh, I'm still there, so I'm a little bit outside Buffalo. So despite the fact that it's not December yet, I'm looking at over a foot of snow outside. You got a foot of snow right now? Yes. Boy, I don't miss that. So I'm from Colorado. I grew up in Colorado. So and we grew up in the mountains, like 8,500 feet up behind Pikes Peak. So we got 30-inch snows, you know, all times of year. Snow in October wouldn't leave until May and maybe sometimes may or june but yeah that's a little early buddy yeah yeah no colorado is probably the only place that's worse because in buffalo like you just know you're going to get hammered in the winter and it is what it is but i feel like colorado's that spot where uh you know you'll see like oh there was a 90 degree temperature swing you know it went from 96 to 6 degrees and dropped 36 inches of snow in 24 hours and i go oh that's that's brutal that's the old the old the old cliche if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, it'll change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I grew up with that. It's like, it's cold outside, just wait. <laughs> yeah. It's hot outside, J just wait. It's okay. Just give it a little bit here. Go have a juice. It'll be changing. Did you, <clears throat> excuse me, do you have any uh, brothers, sisters? What was your family like? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a brother who's four years older than me and a sister who is uh, two and a half years younger. And did you, um, what's your family like? Uh, I had a mom and dad, um, they were married my, uh, their whole lives. My dad died a couple of years ago. Um, but 
No, it was really great. Um, they were both uh, really smart, loving individuals um, who, you know, I I cherish to have every day. And, you know, it's uh, I, I can't complain. Can't complain. Well, I see musical instruments behind you. So I know that you're into music. You're a painter, you're an author, and you're an army veteran. Um, would you would you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? What did you think? Do you want to be a musician? Did you, you want to go in? you know, into the army? No, no. Um, I, uh, I wanted to be an architect. I had, uh, you know, uh, underneath the stairs of our house, there's a little, you know, kind of a little cubby where, uh, you could get underneath. And I, I had an office in there. I had office supplies and everything was all organized and, and put to rights. And yeah, I thought, I thought being an architect would be really cool when I grew up, but that, uh, that changed when I got older. That's, you know, it, it's, I think, I think I probably changed, I probably changed my ideals about a hundred times growing up, what I wanted to be. I, I end up following a path of being in law enforcement, which I am grateful for, because it allowed me to accomplish some things that I really wanted to accomplish and contribute back to the world, which is great. You had the opportunity to contribute back. Well, number one, you served our country and thank you for your service. We appreciate that. Um, but you serve it in the form of creative arts, which I think is like a brilliant way to make a contribution to society. Did you, uh, had you always been into music? No, not at all. Um, actually it's funny cause I didn't even listen to music until I got to be a teenager until I was 13. Um, I don't know why I just, it didn't really appeal to me much. And then, um, when I was 13, I started listening to classical music and then it's sort of, um, you know, went into some blues and then the most teenage boy story ever. When I was 15, three of my friends said, Hey, let's start a band. And none of us played any instruments. So we just went around the room and we said, uh, you'll play drums, you'll play bass. I got guitar and, uh, we just taught ourselves how to play instruments and we wrote some songs and we got pretty good. We played some local talent shows and we recorded a, uh, a cassette tape back when those were a thing. And, um, then when we were 19, uh, my, my drummer got married very young and my bass player went out of state, uh, to go to college. And so I was kind of just starting to, um, get into music and get into creating music. And I said, oh man, I don't want it to end here. So what do I, what do I do? Right. Um, you know, it seems, it seems silly to go to my other friends and, and try to do the same thing again. All right, hey, you play drums, you play bass. Now just take four years to learn the instruments, right? So uh, instead, I uh, took my life savings and I bought the pieces of a computer and I built a recording computer and I bought a drum set and bought a bass guitar and bought all the stuff for a recording studio and um, had no idea what I was doing and just kind of figured it out. And... That's how it works to this day. I, uh, in the room that we're in right now, I record all the separate pieces and put them together and uh, mix and master them and, and release them from here. That's amazing. Self-taught man from all that perspective. I know, I know what a board looks like and how all that, all that pieces together. That's what an amazing, uh, uh, inspirational uh, task that you completed in doing so. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's partially inspirational and, and partially, um, you know, unfortunate. I always tell people that when I, when I tell that story, it's not so much out of, out of pride as, uh, you know, 
as out of, man, I wish I had had a mentor. <laughs> I wish I'd had, if I'd had somebody who was able to teach me and help me, I would have made progress much quicker than I, than I did. But no, it is a testament to, uh, you know, I, people's ability to, uh, figure things out. Well, exactly. I mean, you're a lifelong learner as, as your bio says, and, you know, being a lifelong learner, I think that we have an advantage. I'm, I'm the same way that, that you are. Um, we have that advantage of understanding the inquisitive aspect of it and what makes it work and how it works and how to implement it and how to, you know, fit it in. And I think that that gives us an advantage with regard to somebody that, that has gone through four, and I'm not dissing it because I have two degrees, going through four years, you know, a four-year degree and it's taken up four years of study to come up to the same thing that that we had the opportunity to kind of figure out a little sooner. Um, but yeah, mentors are always good. It's great when you get to ask somebody, Hey, come here, show me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pardon me. Let me help you with this. Why'd you join the military? Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, part of it was, um, you know, yeah, when you're a little boy, you, you dream of being in, in the military. You, that's kind of what you, I, I think, uh, most little boys think of that, you know, and then it, it hurt when, I got my associate's degree from community college, and then I went to apply to a bachelor's for a bachelor's degree at four-year school and saw it was going to be $20,000 a year and uh, didn't want to take out student loans. So I thought, well, you know, I've always wanted to, to join the military, and college is kind of outside my reach, so the goals seem to, uh, to coincide some. So it kind of pieced together that way. Um, you went into the army, Navy, Air Force. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the army. Um, you know, I, I had, I scored a 98 on my ASVAB and the instructor pulled me aside afterwards and he said, you know, you should really do something different, <laughs> but I wanted to shoot guns. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to do the, all of the, the macho stuff. So I joined the army. Uh, in retrospect, it probably would have been better for career prospects to have joined the Air Force or, uh, you know, uh, some other skilled field. But no, I went with the Army. Yeah, this works. This works. It, you know, the whole whole aspect is experiencing life. That's what we're here for, to experience life in all aspects. So you got to experience that portion of life, and that works. So the, <coughs> excuse me, um, what made you decide to go back to uh, school for, uh, I mean, you're working on your doctoral um, what do you have a degree in prior to that? Is it psychology as well? Uh, yeah, so I'm true to uh, the interdisciplinary um, background, right? Because I have an, my associate's degree is in criminal justice. My bachelor's degree is in interdisciplinary studies. My master's degree is in education. And now I'm working on a doctorate in psychology. So we're all uh -huh. over the map. All over the map. That works. Yeah, you know, interdisciplinary. I, I didn't realize we were interdisciplinary buddies here. We're alumni yeah. with that, see? Yeah. Um, the School of Interdisciplinary Studies over at ASU was one of the first programs that was implemented. So I got in on the ground level of interdisciplinary studies and loved every aspect of it. You know, being able to, well, that's why I combined it with performance and art and digital media. And, you know, I had my choice, which I think is like brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. What brings you to psychology? So... I think, you know, uh, uh, psychology is interesting because it comes out of philosophy, right? And philosophy is obviously something I'm interested in. So I always, I viewed the two as having a feedback loop, right? 
psychology, you know, the discipline of psychology developed out of philosophical thoughts about how humans think. Um, but then again, the only way we're able to philosophize is by utilizing our, our psychology. So the two are, are related very closely. And so, you know, when we're thinking about philosophical questions, a lot of them come back to um, questions about, you know, us, our, on, you know, our ontology, right? Who, what it means to, to be us, to experience things, you know, that, that sort of subjective experience. So, so that's kind of what drew me to psychology. You know, it, it's, it's a, I, I did take some psychology classes when I was going through both, well, actually I have, my criminal justice degrees were back in community college. I have two associates with that, but the, um, when I went to my bachelor's degree and then when I went into my master's, we were required to do some psychology classes. I found it fascinating in, in all the different philosophies and the way that they integrate within our brain and in, in, in the different approaches to how our brain works. Um, I have a niece that actually is a psychologist and, uh, and she's an Af a working doctor, um, but she, she went more towards child psychology in regard to that. But she also took a, not your typical you know, book style psychological approach to helping these kids. She kind of geared off a little bit more of a, of a, I won't say free range, but allowed more freedom with understanding, you know, and, and working with the kids instead of reading in certain books, well, Freud says this, or Jung says that, or blah, 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 blah. It, she kind of broke away from that and she's pretty successful about that. Is that the same kind of approach that you're learning or, or what direction do you, do you want to come out of this? Yeah, I think that um, as far as therapeutic applications go, I think that you need some of that because our understanding of human psychology is sort of limited by our technology in some way, right? We think of, you know, the behavioralist thought of people as, as only um, their actions, not their thoughts. And then the cognitive psychologists think of the human brain as a computer, right? Um, but these things are all sort of false equivalencies. That's not real. The human brain isn't a unique thing that can't sort of be encapsulated by these abstract uh, things that we try to use to to define it. So when we're trying to address therapeutic issues and, and problems that people have, you need some intuition, just, hey, I'm a human being, right? I've, you know, I've dealt with things. So how do I, what in my uh, professional training and will make sense to implement and what from my personal experience helps me, you know, figure out what's going on in the situation. I am not um, going into, uh, so I'm not going into therapy. There's kind of two different types of psychologists, right? You have um, those who go into therapy and counseling, and then you have research psychologists. So I'm more looking at um, kind of like neuroscience, right? Looking at people's brains under scanners and trying to figure out what exactly is going on. That's pretty cool. I think that, um, I think we have a need for that, especially, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I see, from my observance, you know, as a cop, of course, uh, I'm a trained observer. You know, not being egotistical, that's my job. You're supposed to observe people. You're supposed to observe actions. You, you know, you observe what's going on around you consistently. Even after I retired, I have a very hard time letting that go. I'm still one of those kind of individuals. I, when I go into a restaurant, I still look around at everybody. I look at the exits. I sit with my, it's cliche, but I sit with my back 
you know, to the door, if at all possible, so I can see if anybody's coming in the front door. I watch people constantly. Um, with regard to that, in watching today's society, in the way that has changed over the last several years, do you think that there's there's a you think there's a, a change, a significant change in the in the way that we as human beings are now reacting within that society and the societal changes that are taking place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that the important thing to do is sort of find the truth in the in in the matter, right? Because you know, since the beginning of time. There's always been uh, the old generation saying that something's going to ruin the new generation, right? And it goes all the way back to, you know, uh, Plato saying that writing was going to ruin the minds of people because once you could write things down, you there's no need to memorize things and your brain would turn to mush, right? And, uh, you know, with every new technology, there's always um, some pushback about, oh, this is going to, to radically harm us, right? And it never turns out to be that way. And, and part of the reason for that is because the human brain is an adaptive organ, right? So um, a good example is cell phones. You know, there's this concern that, hey, you know, I, even I remember the time when I had dozens of cell phone numbers or dozens of phone numbers memorized that I had yes. to dial into a phone. And you go, oh, man, kids these days would never be able to do that. Well, they would if they had as much practice as we did, but they don't need to. And so therefore they use their brains for other things, whether it's positive or negative, there's just no point in memorizing phone numbers. Right. And that's just what the brain does. If, if it gets used and if it has a purpose and a reason for doing things, it will do it. Um, and if it doesn't, it won't get used for it. So all of that is to say over the past several years with, um, you know, the, we've, we're seeing some advances in technology that are not equivalent to things that have happened in the past, right? Um, you know, writing and radio and TV um, sort of are on a different level from social media, right? Social media is an interactive platform. Um, it's predicated on, you know, taking advantage of kind of the, the dopamine and limbic system of individuals um, in an addictive way, right? And it, it can lead to some unhealthy outcomes. That being said, it's a tool, right? It's And it's a useful tool. It allows me to keep in touch with friends across seas that I wouldn't have been able to before. It allows us to have conversations like this. So there's positives and negatives to the whole thing. Um, and, and as is always the case, the picture is much more complex than um, any advocate or detractor wants to make it out to be. But I think that certainly... Um, there, it's undeniable that there is a change that has occurred that is on a different scale from what we've seen in history before. I, yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think that we, um, real quick note on the phone thing. Yeah, it's I, like you used to memorize it. Just like when I was a cop, I worked in a county that was 2,100 square miles. So you had nine different districts. Mm. You memorize whenever you were working a district. You just go memorize all the streets and where they were at and how they get there. Ask me to do that today. I'd be going punch it into the GPS, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> right. Um, but yes, I think that you know, it, as a child growing up and as a young man growing up, I I was a Star Trek fan. 
Um, of course, that was before Star Wars, but I'm still a Star Wars fan. So I, I'm not one of those, one or the other's better. I like them both. But Star Trek, they had the first iPads. If you really watched the, the early Star Trek, they had an iPad. They had a tricorder. They had communicators. They had, it was a, a preface to what was available today. So from my perspective, because I had such a, a mind that was inquisitive and wanting to see that grow, I had a computer at a very young age when they first came out. You know, I had one of the first Mac computers that came out. I had an Apple II, actually. Came out, you know, I had it in 1983. Hmm. One of them sold for $265,000. I wish I'd have kept it. <laughs> Hindsight, right? <laughs> yeah. It was, I'm going to trade this in and get a better one. <laughs> um, but you look at today, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm 64 years old. And in, in realistically, my wife's parents um, won't embrace it. They come into this house and they hear me asking, I won't say the name out loud because she'll answer me, but Lexi, okay? They'll ask me, as, oh, it's Lexi, what's the forecast for tomorrow? And he goes, why don't you just put a, a, a temperature gauge and a thing outside your door? And, and I'd be going, because I just asked Lexi and Lexi can tell me. He, he refuses to embrace or come over that hump to, the, to this day and age because of that. He thinks that that is, he got rid of a car and sold the car because it had a GPS built into it. He says, I just can't drive that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, that, that kind of a situation. I was an individual that embraced it. I thought it was like absolutely cool. When we got computers in the car in the police department before I left, it was like, you couldn't put them in there a while ago, of course, because they weren't available. But, you know, about two years before I left, you know, we just got computers in the car, which was like an amazing step from humanity. It was like stepping on the moon, <laughs> you know, from, from our perspective, because it gave us the ability to, to do what we needed to do for part of our job right there in the car. You know, and it just blew me away. But there's, a, there's always learning curves and there's always hurdles with new technology, but, um, you know, you need to go into it with the mindset that, you know, groups of very smart people um, designed this thing to make life easier. And so um, that's that's something that you see a lot with with people who refuse to adopt technology, uh, kind of similar to your wife's parents, right? They go, well, why is it so complicated or why would I do that when I could when I could do this? Well, it just kind of shows an, uh, that there's there's not an understanding of the capability of, of the tool there. Right. And, um, you know, it goes across, it goes across, um, generations, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of people who are my age or even a little bit younger that, that, um, they want to stick with the technology that they had five years ago. Right. And the world mm -hmm. is progressing at, at such a fast rate, um, that, yeah, you gotta, you gotta keep on top of things and, and being a lifelong learner does help with that because you're always curious. You're always curious mm -hmm. about what the next thing has and how it can, how it can help. What's your opinion on like chat GPT and, and. And uh, those kind of artificial intelligence platforms that allow us to be able to uh, to, to help us to function if done properly. Yeah, it's interesting. We did a uh, we did a few episodes on Chat GPT. We even interviewed Chat GPT. Did you on really? One. I got yeah, to go back and yeah. look at that one. Yeah, yeah. If you scroll back a little ways, it might have been about a year ago or so. But um, yeah, and I, and I interviewed a uh, an artificial intelligence researcher. Uh, Keelan Cooper on an episode and um, you know there's 
it's a it's a complicated thing, right? Um, the language models that they're currently using, you know, people get worried about artificial intelligence taking over everything, right? The language models that they're using actually are are only about as smart as a two year old, um, but it's like a two year old with a very sophisticated vocabulary, right? It's just predicting, just making a probabilistic prediction on what the next word should be, right? And it's pulling data from uh, from a wide range of sources, but its cognitive abilities aren't quite there. Um, now, artificial general intelligence, that's that's the big one, right? That's when you're on par with human capabilities. And there's been a lot of hubbub in the news over the past few days about, um, you know, OpenAI having this Q-star um, project that they were working on and that it might be an artificial general intelligence. Um, who knows? You know, it's too early to say there's no reliable um, information on it. Um, but from what we've heard coming out of it, it, it scared the people at the company, right? And, and it should, right? It because should, yeah, because yeah, if you if you do, if you are able to have a machine with the cognitive capabilities of a human drawing on essentially the entire knowledge base of humanity, um, and you're just seeding it with a few parameters and hoping that it learns what to do in such a way that doesn't lead to a, a butterfly effect, you know, a cascading snowball of possibly unforeseen negative consequences. It's a precarious place to be, you know, so I think at this point for the next, uh, you know, maybe, you know, one to 10 years, we're pretty safe. But beyond that, uh, you know, the horizon is is pretty murky. And especially when you don't know what's going on behind behind closed doors at some of the, these tech companies. So kind of what you're saying is Terminator might be coming true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then that's a whole different, you know, it's a whole different discussion, right? Is, you know, the there's a disembodied nature to AI at this point, and it, it could do, you know, I, it could do things to the infrastructure, but could it, you know, there's no, there's no robot bodies out there waiting to, to battle with humanity that I know of at this point. Well, we could, we could probably refer it back to, uh, uh, HAL 2000. Yeah. Yeah. HAL. Yeah. Yeah. Remember HAL 2000 and, and HAL kind of said, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do this because I think it's the best thing to do. And you know, if you're collateral damage, well, then, you know, that's just the way it is. Well, yeah, well, I think that was a more prescient view of AI than, than the Terminator model at this point. But, well, I, I like Terminator. I thought I'd just, you know, throw that one in there and, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you never know. Never, 10 years, you never know. I mean, I've got, yeah. theoretically, I'm half cyborg because I've had these eight operations because I got pinned between a, a suspect car and my patrol car. So it did a oh. lot of damage. So I have, I have titanium in two knees, a hip, two shoulders, my foot. Um, yeah, I'm almost there. <laughs> Close. Close. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in regard to um, uh, philosophy, I know that we, you know, you, we, we had a little bit of a conversation in regard to philosophy and, and, and you studying that a little bit. Can you help our, our um, audience understand? Uh, you hear it. I mean, I, I understand it, but you hear it. You, you know, people say, oh, well, that's the philosophy of so-and-so or that's the philosophy of, of this or the, the religion is a philosophy or things like this. Can you help us understand what is philosophy? Sure. 
Um, and this is a question that I would have asked heading into community college, right? I was go, oh, okay, it's a it's an elective that I'll take, right? But what's it? It's it about you know dusty books and old guys with big beards being mad at the world. What is it, you know? And then I uh, I got into college and. My professor was Norm Gayford, the uh, my co-host on on From Nowhere to Nothing. So, uh, and he really just lit a fire in me about philosophy. And so now, the uh, the ele the elevator pitch I give about philosophy is that philosophy is everybody's favorite topic. They just don't know it, right? And that's because you can talk about anything philosophically, and that's what we do on the show, right? We talk about the big topics like God and time. But we also have done episodes on Disney princesses or entertainment franchise reboots or anything, right? Um, and that's just sort of a byproduct of the the inquisitive uh, nature of, of the lifelong learner, right? Somebody who is looking around the world and... Um, you know that's it, it's a it's a strange property of our reality, right? That if you look closely at something, um, suddenly it doesn't make sense anymore. You know, especially if you look at it under a microscope or you know through a telescope, the very big things and the very small things, right? Um, but you know, science can explain a lot for us. But at at the beginnings of science and at the fringes of science, there's philosophy, right? There's this. Um, attempt to know things through rationalization, um, even if science isn't there to empirically, um, you know, provide evidence due to technological limitations or whatever it may be. So, so yeah, anything's philosophical, right? You know, why, why your favorite color, why my favorite color is blue, right? How weird is that, right? Why, what would cause a person to have a favorite color? Um, up to this point, psychology can't answer that question. I'll tell you that. So it's up to philosophy. What is it about my my history or my genetics or my evolutionary, you know, the evolutionary path of humanity or all of these things together? What is it that causes somebody to have a favorite color? You know, so, yeah, philosophy is is just the practice of looking at at anything and um, digging, digging deeper, digging below the surface, and and asking critical questions, and and examining things um, at a at a finer level. Brilliant explanation. Um, I think that will help people give a, a better understanding of what philosophy is and how it relates to us in today in society. I think that a lot of us sometimes forget that, that the philosophical aspect of life still needs to be there. I believe, I think that is still relevant. I believe that if we don't have that uh, philosophical look at, at everything around, I mean, look what they're finding out with the web, you mentioned space earlier, with the web telescope now, they're seeing so many things so far away, even the concept of it being able to see that far and to take those pictures, those brilliant pictures of what's out there. It, it, it's still a question. I mean, though, it, there, it's science is showing. There's the reality of it in your hand. But the philosophical side of it is how does that really exist and why aren't we just reaching out and touching that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Webb telescope is a good example because although it was happening with the Hubble telescope beforehand, Webb really blew it wide open where, you know, you think you have this uh, pretty good picture of, um, you know, how the universe developed and all of a sudden, 
you start to see these big organized structures much earlier than should have been possible for them to exist. And so you have to go, okay, well, we have to go back to the drawing board on some of our assumptions about how the universe um, took place. And so there's a very important relationship between science and philosophy. You know, I think that um, especially uh, in in our, our modern day and age, right? Some people have a, some people's religion is science, right? Which is to say that um, they expect, they, they expect science to explain things that science was never intended to explain, right? Science is, um, is limited in scope. And I can say this as somebody who's studying to be a social scientist, right? That's, that's what I do is, is essentially science. And, um, you know, science is a, a process, right? It's, it's a method. It's a way of, of approaching a problem. Um, but science never proves anything, right? You can offer support for a theory and you can disprove things, right? You, all it takes is one evidence, one example of something to disprove a whole theory. But no matter how much evidence you have, you never prove a theory because at any time in the future, a contrary piece of evidence can disprove it, right? So people get frustrated with science because they go, oh, well, it's always changing, right? Um, but to me, that's the beauty of it, right? Is no matter where you look, no matter what question you answer, um, in that answer, there's always 10 more questions to explore. And some people find that frustrating. But for me, I, I love the mystery of life that it's so much stranger and more mysterious than anything you could uh, make up, right? And that's where philosophy comes in, is, is, is looking at looking to the future, right? We, we so often think of it as being in the past, right? Well, science came out of philosophy. No, philosophy is, is where science is going in the future, right? Um, you mentioned Star Trek earlier uh, with science fiction, right? Before the technology existed to make communicators and iPads and, and you know, iWatches and, and these sorts of things, there were philosophers, right, trying to rationalize out, well, how could something like that work and making it reality, right? So, so philosophy precedes science and then science sort of takes the torch later on. It's interesting how that all pieces together. Yeah, it starts with a thought, starts with a dream, and then trying to make that dream a reality. So I think you have to have the philosophical side of it because if you don't have the philosophical side of it, it doesn't allow you to move forward to help develop it any more than that. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. It's very interesting. So the, how do you think, um, if you don't mind, I know you, you I, I'm not the typical Q&A type of uh, uh, conversationalist. I like, most of my podcasts, if, you know, if you listen to them, most of my podcasts are really organic. I do have, I can outline that I like to kind of follow, but in this particular case, there were some questions that I had, uh, had seen from you that I think they're really relevant to what we're talking about right now. What gave you the idea for the podcast and to bring your professor into it? Can I ask that? Because I think, say again, I've listened to it. Uh, it's a brilliant podcast. Uh, I'll have a link to it in the show notes for everybody. But, you know, y'all need to, to listen to this podcast because it will open your eyes in many instances of to what the possibility is of what does exist and what is out there and, and how things fit together within a certain way. And the, the conversations that you and your partner have, uh, at least the ones that I've listened to so far, are brilliant um, in, in regard to 
opening up that possibility. Um, so can we talk about uh, uh, what was your what was your inspiration for starting the podcast and and bringing him in? Yeah, yeah, I I appreciate you saying all those nice things about it, but yeah, what um where it started was you know like I said heading into uh, college I didn't know what philosophy was I took a philosophy one hundred and one with Norm and got super excited about it and then I took every class that there was um, and so. And then we didn't talk for 10 years, right? And um, it was just part of, uh, again, you know, being somebody who always wants to do something new, uh, 10 years after college, I thought, hey, you know, I have all of this recording equipment from making music. Why don't I try making a podcast? You know, that's something new. That's something different. And I thought, well, what would I make a podcast about? And I go, you know, some of the favorite moments of my life were those philosophy classes, right? And so I thought, yeah, I'll bring Norm on and we'll try to recreate some of those discussions, just the two of us. And initially we were just going to do 10 episodes on the biggest topics. And uh, we got through the 10 episodes and we go, well, that's not going to fly. Like there's so many other things that you can talk about. And so we uh, we've kept going for 150 something episodes now, um, but yeah, the the whole idea has always been to recreate the discussions of a philosophy classroom, and part of that is is exploration, right? And and failing. We're pretty open about it on the podcast. You know, we always talk about how hey, we're just spitballing stuff back and forth and we're going to put our foot in our mouths and you know, we're going to say some things and then we're going to think about it and then we're going to contradict it later. Because I think it's important for listeners to see that process because that's how, that's how you learn things, right? You don't just learn things by getting them right 100% the first time. Or you, know, you don't just come to know something by hearing an argument one time and then accepting it. As a matter of fact, that's the problem with a lot of modern society, right? Is people have, people are, um, they take things from sources that they believe to be authoritative. And rather than questioning them and thinking about them for themselves, they just adopt those arguments, right? And that's not what philosophy is about. Philosophy is always about thinking about things critically. So um, yeah, we take just one or two words, just a one or two word concept. And we look at formative um, aspects, you know, what the historical thought has been. And then we do look at the essence of it. Norm and I try to hash out on our own what we think it means. And then we look at speculative elements. We try to ask questions about what that what we've talked about means for society or humanity or the future, right? And so all, you know, of course, with the understanding that we're going to make some mistakes and we're, we're going to figure some things out. And there's there's going to be some aha moments where we go, hey, I was thinking about it all wrong until just now. And, you know, now I think I've got an insight. They'll probably change five minutes later when Norm brings up a new point. Right. So it's all about that, that learning experience and, and not being afraid to fail, even on a even on a public level, you know, where there's, again, thousands of people listening to you. Right. It's important to, to, to set that example and let people know that um, this is the way you you get things done. This is the way you start to learn things and you start to have an idea about what the 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 big world and reality out there is. Yeah, it's a, again, it's a, you know an amazing um, opportunity for people to kind of get and at least get integrated into 
the possibility of. Um, I, I wrote down some names of some of the ones that I've listened to, more recent ones, which I practiced this over and over again. I'm still probably going to get it wrong. Cosmogony? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I kept messing it up quite a bit. <laughs> I just spell it out almost phonetically. Um, I think I messed it up a couple times in the show. So yeah, it's yeah. I don't feel too bad. That, that yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I don't feel too bad. But in that episode, you guys discussed both the myths and the science surrounding the origins of the universe, which, which I found very, very fascinating. Because we all want to know the origins of the universe. We were talking about the Webb Telescope earlier. I think that that's opening some doors for us. That's the reason I brought it up. I think it's opening doors for us that we never thought possible. When you look at, especially the brilliance in the pictures that it's coming back. Because before. With the other, with the Hubble telescope, we had pictures, but they were never so clear as what's coming back with the Webb telescope, which is giving us a broader version of, of what is there and uh, a more clear picture of what's there. I think, which is again, is making people rethink the origins of our universe and how we got here. Um, and yes, life is. Earlier, you mentioned something, and the first thing that hit me was life. You know, I, I watched both my daughters being born. And you, you think about just that in particular, that life being born, in, in, in the complexities of that life from conception to, to birth. And, and you know, you, you think that's a human being. Mm. You know, the possibility of, of that human being now and then growing and living and talking and learning and interacting and loving and, you know... It, it, hating and in just everything, it blows my mind when you really, really think of the aspects that this has been going on for as long as it has, and that we are still be able to we're still able to procreate, and the procreation is no matter what race, color, creed, religion you are, a baby's a baby. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and it's and that it is a, a good window into the philosophical questions you can ask, right? Because you see a baby and just the complexity of it, right? And you go, well, what are the chances that that human beings could be here, right? And and you know, there's there's yep. a lot of scientific theories about how it might have happened. Um, but there's a lot of uh things in the science that that seem highly improbable, right? And that gives a lot of people um a uh, you know a reason to believe in religious uh, you know religious views, and so we never bash anybody's anybody's beliefs on the show because part of philosophy you know and especially metaphysics right is it's outside of the purview of science so it's it's unprovable stuff right um, if if God decided that you know he created the world yesterday and he stretched all the starlight. 13 billion light years and he planted all the dinosaur bones and did all this stuff. Well, he could probably do that because he's God. He has, has all the power, right? It seems unethical. It seems immoral. Yeah. And that raises philosophical questions. Well, what is morality? What is ethics, right? Or, uh, you know, thinking about the the personality of the baby, right? Going through its whole life, right? And well, is it is the grown adult the same person as the baby or are they actually different people, right? When it's the ship of Theseus, right? If, uh, you know, if we replace your knee with a titanium one, are you still the same person? How much of you could we replace before you would no longer be Michael, right? You know, it's, uh, so f yeah, you know, life 
you know, all aspects of life, but especially, you know, looking at, at humanity and, and just the, the viscera of the human being, which is part of the reason I got into psychology, right? Looking at the, the complexity of, of the human body and mind really is just an awe-inspiring thing. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So three o'clock tomorrow morning, I expect a phone call that my revelation will be here as to answering that question. So it'll hit me about three in the morning. And <laughs> I'll reach out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it it is, to me, it's like, you know, it, it's a, it, the immense wonders of the world, I think, and how we live in it and how we're all connected in that perspective. I believe that it is unimaginable, but at the same time, it is innate that we need that connectedness and that we are all connected in that way. We all learn how to communicate and learn what emotions are and learn what a hug is and what it's meant for. You know, and, and, and at the same tone, you understand war and, and, and how that participates and the feelings from that and what takes place. It is, it is the complexities of life, but the magic of life. Hmm. You know, they talk about yeah. does magic exist? It, when I watch both my kids being born, to me that's magic. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess that it would depend upon your level of what you feel or what you believe it is magic. And in each of us individually, I, I think, have to embark upon a journey of our own philosophical debate within ourselves to find out at what level do we continue to keep our ears and our eyes and our heart open, in our eyes open to understand the learning and that we can continue to learn. That learning is a, is a process that will continue, you know, for the rest of our lives. Or we can choose to stop learning and stay where we're at and stay stagnant, which is unfortunate in some cases where you don't want to go over that and learn something new or learn something past that. But what an amazing opportunity for us to, to be able to get a, a grasp of, of where we're at in life and why we're here in the universe. Yeah, it just yeah we could yeah. Talk we could just keep doing that. Um, <laughs> I got a couple of questions I would like to ask you though, if we can touch upon that. It's like a a big turnaround here, really quick. I got to get my notes up because I wrote these down. I, I got to ask you this. We brought up in the beginning. So to reflect back on your music in your music career, um, I've always wondered this because. You know, we just people that listen to songs. People that you know, you have a song that you know, it, it's like a. It, there are people with dementia that literally have dementia. My father-in-law was one of me, a Louis body dementia. But when you turn certain song on, he'd smile and he'd remember that music. He'd remember that song, and, it, and he may not remember it. He, unfortunately, he got to a point where he didn't remember who his own daughter was. But if you turn that song on. He would he'd light up because he remembered that song. What do you think from a from a musician's perspective, combined with the philosophical aspect and psychological aspect? How do you think music plays a, an effect on our lives from from like what I just told you? Yeah, music is is really interesting because it's something that you know in in some ways makes us unique uniquely human, right? Um, you know, birds have songs and, and whales have songs and these sorts of things, mm -hmm. but they're ultimately a, a means of communication, right? It's not to meant to be a, a, um, an artistic endeavor. Um, and 
music on top of that what, what sort of purpose does it serve you know what what does it what does it accomplish right these are all questions that you can ask from a, a scientific or, or psychological viewpoint whereas you know from a philosophical or a, a humanistic viewpoint they don't make sense right there's no utility to music that's not why we do it we do it because it makes us feel a certain way right um but it, it resides in in several centers in in the brain right i think so that some of the some of the misconceptions about um, psychology boil down to, as in many things, an over oversimplification of of mechanisms of of action, right? So, you know, genes, for instance, some people like to blame things on their genes. Well, um, you know, yes, everybody has their own unique set of genetics, um, but we share a lot more in common than we differ, um, and really, what plays a lot of parts in 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 our genetics is epigenetic changes. So how the environment, the environment has the ability to turn certain genes on and off in certain people for whatever reasons, based on stress or based on, um, pollution levels or any, any, any other types of things that we don't have a good grasp on yet. Um, same thing with areas of the brain, right? You'd like to think that there'd be one area of your brain dedicated to music, but there isn't right. Your brain is a, a very, um, cross-functional organ. So sure you have, um, you know, apparatuses for, uh, hearing the music, um, and, and storing the memory of the music and the memory of the lyrics, and even the memory of the rhythm and cadence of the music. And that's, that's sort of an interesting thing, right? You can see this in speech, um, problems. This, you have two speech centers in the left side of your brain. Um, and if one goes bad, you can find words, but you sort of have to search for them. It's sort of halting. And if you have a problem in the other section of the brain, you can speak fluently, but all the words are gibberish. And, uh, and then you have a, a center in the right side of the brain that allows people to put emotion and inflection into their voices. And so if that part's damaged, they, they have to speak in a monotone and they can't recognize emotion in other people's voices, right? So there's several parts of the brain that have to do with music, right? There's the, there's the, the melody, there's the rhythm, there's the, the lyrical content, there's all of the, the, the timbre of, of the instruments that combine together. So it's engaging, you know, the emotional centers of, of the brain, it's engaging several different areas. And so that, um, sort of ability of music to engage a bunch of different centers makes it very resilient to um, damage, right? Whether it's due to uh, dementia or, or brain damage or this sort of thing, um, you know, because if you think about it, yeah, a spoken word, um, you know, you have you have content there. Um, but that that's about the end of it. With music, there's so much more. So that uh, you know, and and, you know, if you have dementia you have the ability to draw on several different areas and all it takes is is one or two of them in order to engage the other parts that might not be accessible to pull the memory back out so yeah so music is important to us you know not just from a, a physiological level um and, you know based on how integrated it is and you know we use it to remember things the letters of the alphabet and how to wish people happy birthday and all kinds of stuff, right? That are just automatic. Um, so it's it's not just uh, 
it's not just a learning tool, but it, it's an emotional tool. It's a communication tool. Um, you know, it, it serves several different purposes that reflect the fact that it is widely distributed across the, um, the neural network. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think it's widely distributed across the world as well. And at least from what I've learned and, and my, I've experienced is I found that music and dance are universal languages. It can be recognized anywhere across the world, no matter where you're at, no matter what language you speak, no matter what religion you are, music and dance can speak to you. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, um, what one culture considers musically pleasing versus another culture may change, but they have done scans on people's brains and they've determined that, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what culture the music is from, you can identify music when you hear it. And same thing with dancing. They, they've done studies where, uh, uh, what you and I were talking about, it might've been before the show, but they'll, they'll put dots on people. Yeah. And with as few as three or four dots on the whole human body, um, they'll just record somebody dance and then they'll show an observer just those four dots moving and they'll be able to know that that was a person dancing just yeah. four disembodied dots moving around. They'll know, Oh, that's, that's a dance, you know? That's so brilliant. yeah, there's some, there's some powerful stuff there. Yeah, it's brilliant, 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 brilliant. Well, look, Joel, I, I could talk to you for like a whole nother uh, hour or two or somewhere there. You'll have to come back on the show. We could have another conver another great conversation. Uh, and not just yeah. this one. I would really appreciate you coming back. Um, so many more things that we could talk about. But, you know, obviously the pitfalls are time. Time seems mm. to be, you know, it's one of those fleeting things or one of those things we don't have, never have enough of or we could always use more of. Um, and at this point in time, I think uh, I would love to have everybody to understand how to get in touch with you, how to listen to your podcast, how to uh, visit uh, everything about you. Yeah, so you know, if you want to see the podcast, From Nowhere to Nothing, uh, right up there on the screen, uh, you can find it pretty much anywhere podcasts are out. Uh, if you ever want to listen to any of my music, just check out Joel Bouchard Music, type it into Google. You'll see all my albums. Most latest one is All We Are. Uh, I just finished my most recent novel, but it's not published yet, so you can't find anything there. But yeah, that's about it. That's quick and easy. And I'll make sure links are in the show notes so that everybody can find you quick and easy. Um, I will look for the link and put the one in there for your album as well because I appreciate you as a songwriter and a, and a musician as well. I think, again, with my passion for music and from that perspective uh, and performance, um, I appreciate you as a creative artist and the fact that you are contributing to society that way. So thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Um, a quick, quick, quick note. How hard is it to write a song? For me, it's not hard at all. Um, and a lot of people find that frustrating, but I'm a little bit different from most people. Um, and again, I think that that comes from being open-minded um, being curious, having multiple interests that you can draw on and not being afraid to fail, right? Look at Taylor Swift. Do you know that I saw, my family and I saw Taylor Swift when she was still going around to, there was a mall up here in Anthem, Arizona. And she showed up to the mall at the Christmas show. And they had built a little tiny stage, not very big. And we watched her on that stage. And my youngest daughter, I said, that woman's going to be a star, that young lady. And my youngest daughter went, I don't think I like her. 
now my daughter is nothing but a Swifty. <laughs> what a, a billion, she just reached a billion dollars, a billion dollars. So she definitely Oof. has songwriting down pat. Down pat down. Yeah. 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 It's just uh, finding something that, that you can tap into that, that people can relate to. Uh, her, her, I guess, is you know, get dating and then breaking up, and dating and breaking up, and dating and breaking yeah. up. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't recommend that path, but you know, one of those, one of those things. Yeah, uh, Joel, this is one more thing before you go. Before we go, do you have any uh, words of wisdom you can share? Um, yeah, no, I think I think that we've covered a lot in the show, right? Just, just always keep your eyes open. You know, always take a second look at at, at whatever it is that's around you. And most importantly, have a good time. You know, the only the only thing that separates a good life from a bad life is perspective, right? If I view the things that that come into my way as as interesting puzzles to solve rather than horrific obstacles to overcome, then you can't lose. Brilliant words of wisdom. I think everybody should adopt those. Again, Joel, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'll make sure that uh, everybody's got a link to come to your podcast. And uh, to get in touch with you or find your music as well. I'm going to do that as soon as we get off air. And uh, again, I look forward to another conversation with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll come on anytime. Absolutely. For everyone that's out there, please subscribe and like. Uh, follow me on any, any of the posts that you're on there. And one more thing before you all go, have a great day, have a great week, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.